Thank you so much for tuning in, race fans. It means a lot. If you enjoy our podcast, a great way to support us is by leaving a rating or review. And if you include your Formula One hot take or unpopular opinion in your review, we'll shout them out on the show. Dude, you sound exactly like Lewis Hamilton. I've been working on my Lewis Hamilton. (laughs) Welcome back to the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Christina. The Australian Grand Prix was this weekend, and we have lots to talk about. That's right. We're going to be talking about track features like curbs and gravel traps. And we'll explore the very bumpy history Monza has had with those features. For the checkered flag, we're going international. Our new foreign correspondent, Ibrahim, will be joining us from the United Kingdom to discuss some of the drama surrounding journalists reporting on F1. Today's episode may be a little chaotic, so strap in for a fun ride. Enjoy! Boy, let's get going. Okay, time to have some energy, even though this last race has left me with absolutely nothing to give. We are in the days after the Australian Grand Prix where it has taken every single ounce of life's elixir, I guess, that I have out of me. Like I Honestly, though, I feel like the Australian Grand Prix, I don't think we're going to dive too deep into it in today's episode, but I, because you can't kind of dive into it you're either going full deep dive into everything that happened or saving your mental and emotional health and choosing to call it chaos and move forward and so christina's going to talk to us about some curbs and gravel traps today because it did seem to be a recurring theme in yesterday's race it it really was like that i guess it was the first red flag we got was caused by alex albon going into a gravel trap, a gravel trap that was surprisingly close to the actual track. It didn't have a buffer. It didn't have any, you know, grace space. It was Mm -hmm. right there. And so when his car, half of it ended up back on track after that spin, a whole cloud of dust went up into the air and so did a whole bunch of rocks. Drivers couldn't clearly see. And we had a real near miss for Nico Hulkenberg, especially like that was, Mm -hmm. that was scary close. Like seeing his onboard from that was terrifying, but that- That is courtesy of a gravel trap. And full disclosure before we go any further, I'm about to say that I dislike gravel traps a whole, whole, whole bunch. And that should not be construed or confused for having a dislike for this podcast and the associated (laughs) community. (laughs) She hates them as a regulation, but she loves it as a title for this podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Let's not get them confused. Let's not use the things I say now as sound bites to you know, edit and make me sound completely deranged, but that's hilarious. I didn't know that about you, Christina. I, I feel like the more I think about them and the more I learn about them, the more I'm just like, these are not, they're not a great feature. Like anytime you have a gravel trap, you run the risk of a driver getting stuck in it, which is kind of the point. They're designed to slow down the cars before they hit Mm -hmm. a barrier. But the thing is cars go off track for a number of reasons, but the gravel trap doesn't care. They do not care why you're in them. They just want to suck you in and have Mm. you stay. And if your car gets tapped by somebody else, you have no driver error. I I say this as if (laughs) I drive these cars myself. They don't get to be taken out. They're just done, regardless of if it was their fault that they're in that gravel trap Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that's horrible. I really dislike that. But additionally, 
like with what we saw this weekend with Alex getting stuck in that gravel trap and getting it sent all over the track, I really dislike that. I really dislike that this is something that we have track side that could absolutely derail a race and have it take so much time to clean up and have it be a risk to the other cars and to spectators. And then if a car gets stuck in a gravel trap, they also have to have the team spend the whole evening disassembling the thing and making sure they get all of those rocks That's out. That's a good point. Like it just, as, as far as safety features go, I really dislike it, especially when there are a number of other options that are just as good and perhaps even a little mm-hmm. bit safer and less, you know, less destructive to the goal of making sure that the race can go on. Okay, so you mentioned some of the other alternatives to gravel traps. What, I guess, what are, what are those standard alternatives? So one of the main ones is just making it a standard runoff area. And that's what most of the permanent tracks have because they also host not just F1, they host a number of other activities, whether that be carts or just people who do Mm -hmm. hobby racing. And hobby racing, they do it in the big expensive cars and they don't want to risk their baby getting stuck in gravel and being damaged. So they have these runoff areas with painted grip paint. So the most notable example of that is the France track, Paul Ricard. So it has all of those gorgeous colored stripes that go all alongside of it, which, yes, it's a headache to watch during the broadcast, but the different colors also indicate the grip level. So as you get farther away, it gets grippier. Ah. So it's like, okay, you're clearly going off track and potentially having an accident, so we're going to slow you down more. Or, okay, you've just gone slightly off track and you could potentially rejoin, so we're not going to completely wreck your car. So that's that's a nice feature, but it's not available to the temporary street circuits, which is why we see places like Albert Park using the gravel mm-hmm. traps a bit more because they can be removed. The interesting one that I think is a, a very good alternative or at least gives you a good buffer space when it comes to gravel traps is having them covered in epoxy oh. or resin, which is what they did at yep. Zandvoort last year, which is why you had that dark different colored gravel strip Mm -hmm. about a meter wide going down turn 12 Mm -hmm. i think it was none of the rocks can fly up and it still slows down the car it provides less grip so it's still providing that incentive for drivers not to go driving Mm -hmm. off the track natural deterrent kind of a thing but instead of having those rocks fly all over the place and create chaos it keeps them contained which is what we want so okay so do sausage curbs offer any kind of assistance in slowing the car down in the runoff area or is it purely for track limits purposes sausage curbs i can't imagine them existing for any reason other than track limits and trying to deter drivers Mm -hmm. from going over them because they they are more unsafe than they are safe they are just a horrible idea for anyone who's not certain what a sausage curb is if you look at a track and you think oh that looks like a speed bump that's a sausage curb Sausage curb. I'm having difficulty saying the word sausage. I hope we're all enjoying this. <laughs> but yes, the the sausage curbs are so big. And considering how low these cars ride, you go over sausage curb and you are going mm. flying. There's very few instances where you see a car going over a sausage curb and they don't end up having large amounts of damage or straight up end up crashing out. I... I question the sanity of whoever decides to put sausage curbs anywhere and why they haven't yeah. removed them. Yeah. Every time I see one of the sausage curbs sending someone just like flying into the air, I always think of Alphaba and Wicked when she does the Defying Gravity song. I'm like, oh, it's Alphaba. Yep. 
we've kind of bounced this idea around. I think it's been a conversation among fans of the sport and spectators of the sport. This idea of electronic gravel traps. What would that, what, first of all, for our listeners that have not heard of that, what is that? And what would that look like slash how would that work? So the electronic gravel traps are essentially making a geofence. And if your car goes into that area like a force field, it slows your car down. It lowers the power that it has for a couple of seconds. And then you can keep going on with your race. And we've seen tech like that being used actually in Formula E. So they have... For anybody who doesn't watch Formula E, it's the electric car equivalent of Formula One single seater. And instead of having DRS to increase their speed, they use something called attack mode. And it's this special area along the track off the racing line that the cars drive through in order to get a power boost. And they use a geofence, similar technology to what would be used in order to determine if the cars have gone through that zone. It's very Mario Kart <laughs> when you see the on-screen graphics. It. It's fantastic. So the tech exists, and it's being applied, obviously, in a much more small-scale, isolated, only one little part of the track, but it exists, and the potential is there for it to not damage the car, but still provide that incentive to not go off track and a consequence mm. if you do. I like it. I feel like it's... It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And the bigger question is, would it affect... Okay, my question is, would it give you a cap? Like, you can't go faster than this? Or would it reduce your engine power by a certain amount? Like, how would that be regulated? The articles that I saw about it indicate that it's reducing your power. Mm. So not your speed, but the power that you're getting. Which, again, it would come down to the FIA and what they want to do, which I feel like should be a debate that we have later uh, in another episode, because I know that some engines have a tendency to show that they have a little bit more power than other engines. So that would only that would hurt some teams more than other teams, therefore making it potentially unfair. But we'll table that conversation for another time. Here we go into the Grand Prix. <clears throat> at Monza with Max and Lewis on the curb that caused for those of those of you that don't know that weren't watching the 2021 season when Max essentially sailed over uh Lewis's car causing them both a DNF I think it was into the gravel right didn't they go did they go into yeah they went into the gravel and they both yeah. DNF'd it was a crazy race and then Ricardo won yes Daniel Ricardo won very exciting for him um but yeah the sausage curbs and the gravel traps at Monza have been a pretty big topic for a really long time. They also have a bit of a history of being pretty problematic, but in 2014, they actually changed the gravel trap on the final parabolica turn. So that last turn that gets them all the way around at a full 180, all the way to the finish line, they actually changed the gravel trap. Previously, it it rode all the way up to the track limit. So if you went off the track limit at all, you clipped into the gravel. And so it left very, very, a very small margin of error. Um, they changed it. So now there was actually a little bit of runoff area between the track limit and the gravel, which allowed them to have this, I guess, a larger margin of error that they could essentially go a little bit outside of the, uh, they could go a little bit outside of the track limit. But they also installed a sausage curb here. So now you have curb, runoff, gravel. So essentially triple safe in their minds. 
While this also gave the drivers some wiggle room to slide slightly off the track without immediately going in the gravel and ruining their lap or their race, it also caused some problems in 2019 because there was a sausage curb that was at the Parabolica that was placed incorrectly. I want to emphasize this one was not placed correctly, and it sent F3 driver Alex Peroni, who is actually from Australia, into the air. I mean, flipping into the air. True alphabet defying gravity moment. Like, ah, he was all the way up there. No, it looks like something out of a video game. And the floor exploded, like just exploded. It was insane. Everybody's hearts stopped. Thank goodness he actually was okay. They, the medical team got there quickly. He was fine. They took him to the medical facility for testing. This was on the Saturday morning sprint race, too. This wasn't even on the feature race. And technically, he said he felt fine to race in the feature race, but they did not have him race in the feature race just because medical protocol, definitely the best move. I mean, it caused a lot of problems because the sausage curb was placed incorrectly. In fact, immediately after the incident, Jack Aiken, who was driving for campus in F2, actually used to be Renault's F1 test driver, he actually tweeted in defense of the FIA because a lot of people were getting really upset with the FIA after the race. He said, quote, before people start jumping on this saying how unsafe the curbs are, it looks like it broke slash malfunction. Obviously needs looking at, but remember the guys and girls in the FIA are working Really hard to try and get this right, and it's very, very difficult. So glad that Alex is okay. And I know it's really easy to make the FIA the enemy in all of our stories, and sometimes they get it wrong, but I do think that they're doing their best to make it right. And Alex Peroni is okay. Thank goodness. So yeah, that happened at Monza. You guys can all look forward to hearing more about Monza when they go to Monza, because don't worry, I'm sitting on a ton of really fun stories. I can't wait to share them. Also, I... Monza is one of my favorites because as much as I, I don't believe I'm a superstitious person, but anytime I hear about a curse, I get really excited. <laughs> I enjoy the concept of curses and I genuinely want to see if, if uh, in Monza, Max DNFs. Because the last winner always DNFs the next <gasps> year. Okay. I didn't know that one. How did I not know that it one? Happened to Leclerc after he won, to Gasly, and then to Ricardo. Three times now. Wait, did you say it happened to Charles? It did happen to Charles, yeah. Going from, in 2020, he DNF'd when Pierre was winning. And he had to, like, sneak up to see the podium because no one was supposed to watch because it was COVID. So he was watching from, like, this deep, dark corner being like, bestie did it. How cute. Right? Yeah. And then Pierre DNF'd and then Ricardo DNF'd. Wow. Max isn't going to DNF. I feel like Max is completely immune to all of these curses. I do. I do think he's a curse breaker, which is also a very cool title. And quite frankly, I think that if he does break a number of curses this year, I think he should be called curse breaker because that is epic. That'd be cool. So cool. But, you know, we'll wait and see because. Yeah. You never know. Oh, Squeaks is up. Hey. (laughs) He's like, I'm here. (laughs) Do you want to give a sound bite? What do you think of F1 racing? Who is your favorite driver? The third segment of this podcast we affectionately call the checkered flag. And today we're actually really excited to be bringing in our foreign correspondent, Ibrahim, all the way from the UK. Welcome, Ibrahim. Good morning. Oh, good. Good. Sorry. <laughs> good evening. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning. <laughs> depending on where you are on the world. I mean, is, is, we're approaching midnight here, but you know. So Ibrahim, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into a F1, who you love, who you could do without. Give it all to us. Yeah, yeah. 
Of course. So uh, F1 all began uh, with my dad, like like most people. I just stumbled into my living room. My dad is just watching F1. So I sat down and I watched it and I just had this very vivid memory. Uh, it was Silverstone 2007 and I just see this like chrome mm -hmm. McLaren, like shiny and just blasting through the corners and it was labeled as ham. <laughs> That's it. That's all I knew. Yeah. And then I was like, I like this guy. You know what? I like this guy. And and my dad was a Ferrari fan. And obviously at the time, you know, McLaren and Ferrari were like going head to head for the championship. So my dad was a bit disappointed. For me, it, it kind of hits a bit different because obviously, you know, Lewis being one of the few people of color and like in, in a way I sort of related to that as well. Because, you know, I've, I've always been a fan of the underdog and Lewis being, I guess, I guess different, you know, I, I've always just loved this story. And I've been a, a Lewis fan through and through, you know, since since 07. So um, and funnily enough, and now I live just outside, well, on the, on the cusp of North London, it's literally just a couple of miles from Stevenage, and and those of you who know, Stevenage is Lewis Hamilton's um, home hometown, I should wow. say. Wow. Yeah, so I, I get I get a lot of people on my social media saying, "Dude, you sound exactly like Lewis Hamilton." Like, <laughs> and I'm like, "That's the nicest compliment I can get." Like, thank you. You know, I put a lot of effort into it. You know, <laughs> but I've been working yeah. on my Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get people saying like, "Ibrahim, can you can you just record yourself saying?" Bonner, my tires are dead and stuff like that. <laughs> oh my and uh, it, it never seems to hit. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's when I try, it doesn't work. You're effortlessly Lewis. Yeah. So anyway, back back in 2007, it was quite easy for Brits to watch Formula One because it was on BBC and BBC was um, Freeview. Anyone could watch it. And then, um, so I used to watch it in those years and then eventually they transitioned to Sky Sports and that was a paid subscription. You, you couldn't watch it for free. You had to pay for it. And my dad wasn't that kind of guy to pay for subscriptions. So I, I grew distant from Formula One, unfortunately. In 2020, the pandemic, just, just scrolling through Netflix, <laughs> um, I think you can see where this is going. Uh, stumbled across Drive to Survive, and I was like, "Oh!" And then I watched it, and I was instantly hooked. And I was like, "Wow, it's evolved so much!" And and it's it's really nice to see that, you know, my favorite driver all those years ago is now at the height of his powers, the top of his game in the the goat conversation. So it was really nice to see that. And then I found out uh, Formula One was like the first international sport to come back mm -hmm. post COVID, right? So I was like. I need to watch this. So yeah, and that's that's kind of where it all kicked off in, in 2020. I got back into the sport, watched every race, every practice section, and I was on it. And in 2021, I started um, a social media account on, on TikTok dedicated to Formula One, and I was a content creator of F1 content. And that just brings me to where I am now. Uh, we're, we're currently running at about just over 30,000. We just hit 30,000 followers on that account. Uh, Congratulations. A couple of days ago, which is really nice. Um, got, nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Very uh, cool. Very cool. Well, we're so excited to have you here with us. And for our listeners, uh, the name of Ibrahim's handle, if you want to find him on TikTok and all the places, is F -E it's F is it F1 Ibrahim or F Ibrahim? Or is it F1 Ibrahim? This is a very good question. <laughs> I, I think the best way to say it is F1 Brahim. I, I've been thinking about like if somebody asks, oh, hey, man, what's your handle? I, I don't know how to say it. It's just F1 B-R-A-H-I-M. That's it. So it's F1 Brahim, everyone. <laughs> that, was, that was a big flaw when I, when I named myself. Well, yes, you can go find him, like, follow, comment what driver you think he looks like or sounds like in his comment section at F1 Brahim. So we, in this checkered flag, we're going to be talking a little bit about bias in sport journalism. So tell us a little bit about that, Ibrahim. 
Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we noticed um, as the OzGP, uh, we picked up on a, a tweet. person at the center of it was uh, the journalist Laura Winter. I'm assuming you guys probably have, have seen her. Um, I love Laura Winter. Great, great lady. So she's, she's doing a fantastic job and someone called her out after the OzGP saying that it was almost like she was really, really happy and really, really excited to be able to interview and congratulate Toto Wolf after the Australian Grand Prix, but was just kind of casual and meh uh, when talking to Christian Horner, even though Christian's team effectively won the race and, and Toto's what, came second with one car in, in the garage. There was what I can only assume is a an immature kid tweeted out accusing Laura Winter of being extremely biased and, and favoriting Mercedes and not doing her job correctly. And since then, the, the tweet has been deleted, so I can't read to you what the original tweet said. But Laura went on Twitter and responded, <clears throat> Christ, you could not be more wrong. Not that there is much point in defending myself, but I said how good a position Red Bull were in. I said congratulations and well done before we went on air. There is absolutely no preference or bias. It's offensive to suggest so. That that got us, got me and got us thinking, you know, should journalists and people, I guess, involved in Formula One and, and giving us the information, uh, should they be allowed to or discouraged from letting their favorite team or athlete be known to the public? That's a good question. And I just want to say on the record that Lara Winter is a class act. And we here at Gravel Trap would never accuse her or any of the journalists, primarily our ladies, of not being deserving to be there. <laughs> so we just, yes. Absolutely. Lissy, queen. Naomi. Laura, Rachel, Natalie, we love you all. We love you all. Absolutely. Clearly, I think I'm on a first name basis with them because I said none of their last names. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, every time we talk about bias, it's it's one of those things that kind of just makes my eyes go to the back of my head because everyone has mm-hmm. bias. Like, there, there's absolutely no way to get rid of it. And especially with, you hear all of these F1 journalists talking about their stories and how they got into F1. And similarly to what we just heard Ibrahim talk about, they got into it when mm-hmm. they were kids when they were allowed to have favorites when they could just enjoy the sport as a sport and so yes I do think that there is some you know navigating and just making sure that even if people know who your favorite team is that it doesn't impact your job like you are capable of doing that you can still ask good informative questions to all of the teams you can still know I'm gonna offer congratulations for a good result or hey sorry the race didn't go your way you're still perfectly able to do your job even if people know that you have a favorite team I think that it's a bit of a slippery slope when you try to draw the line where the bias how far the bias should go because you can't expect them as people to not have preferences and not have opinions that are solely their own because like Christina said, they were fans of the sport before they ever worked in the sport. So of course you're going to have favorites and ones you favor. It doesn't mean you hate the other people, but it just means that you have people you identify with and that you prefer and that's okay. But then when you try to draw the line of, okay, where should the bias stop and your job should be just reporting without bias. I guess that's that's more of a question than it is a statement. Where do you guys feel like the line is? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like with with jokes in general. Like, what, what do yeah. you define? Where, where is the line, effectively? What, what do you find define as, oh, that's bias? You know, I think uh, for me, one thing that I've noticed when I, when I talk on my account, there are videos where 
and and in the past initially i was like a passionate hardcore ferrari and, and mercedes fan and mm-hmm. effectively i was biased and the problem that that generated on my account is that it it does generate toxicity within mm-hmm. the community and i didn't want that i i just wanted you know my, my account was started to just bring fans in and let everybody love and enjoy the sport that I love so much without the toxicity. So that's why I had to revert to being as non-biased as possible in as many videos. And since I've done that, it's just been way calmer, way more neutral. I talk the positives of every driver where wherever I can. So yeah, it, it does obviously depend on where you draw the line. I, I, I strongly believe that, you know, you can say the most simple of statements and you can just say like, oh yeah, the Red Bull is really fast on on the DRS zones and someone will find that biased despite the fact that I have data to suggest that I have I have evidence there will be someone out there that's not happy with it that's that's just the reality of the situation the other point I was going to say is is similar to Christina's and about like the I guess the inner child the example that I used was Nicky Lauda uh Nicky used to say when when he was in the Mercedes garage obviously Again, Mercedes at the height of their powers when, when he was there. He, he always used to say that I, I loved seeing, you know, my team, Mercedes, do well and win races. But and I, and I was always happy with that. But whenever I saw Ferrari win a race, my heart always beat just that little bit harder and a little bit faster when I saw Ferrari win that race. I think just that little bit kind of resonates with, I guess, all people, all humans, all fans. You know, we all have a heart. We all have a brain. Uh... We all are entitled to have our favorites. I know some journalists and and content creators like myself are very, very good at hiding it. And that I think is down to experience. But purely because obviously I come from the standpoint of social media, I know firsthand how out of hand it can get if you are biased and you do let people know what your favorite driver is. I say purely for the sake of social media, I, I would say that it's best not to let the journalists publicly speak about you know their favorite drivers they are obviously more than entitled to have it i would never really be in a position to stop them but ultimately like given their job people are just gonna come for their throats let's say hypothetically uh laura let's say let's say laura came out and said you know publicly hypothetically that you know lewis is my favorite driver every time she goes ahead and interviews lewis or mercedes there's gonna be madness so I think just purely because of the, the like the day and age that we live in with social media and how toxic it can be within communities, purely because of that, I think it's just safer for journalists to keep that to themselves. And even beyond that, like they work in the paddock with these people. So in my mind as well, they might just have a slightly different relationship with different people. So that's why sometimes you also get just a slightly different tone to different interviews. There are some people that you just gel with a little bit better and that conversation flows more easily and you have a slightly different tone. And yes, as a journalist, it's your job to keep things professional and to make sure that it, you know, Mm -hmm. your presentation stays the same. But I do think that it, it naturally does come out a little bit differently sometimes when you're talking to somebody that you just get along with really Mm -hmm. well. Or that the conversation just flows with. Well, especially we see it with whenever Nico Rosberg. I mean, one of Nico Rosberg's former teammates still drives. I mean, there are very close personal relationships, positive and negative, between the journalists and the principals and the teams and the drivers and the personnel. And I do feel like, and this is just my hot take, 
it is a bit different for the journalists than it is for content creators and social media because journalists are representing and contracted and paid by a media group, whereas content creators are most of the time not getting paid. I mean, if they're getting paid, I feel like then, yeah, they can have a say, but they're representing themselves on their pages. So I actually feel like that they can have opinions. Is the smart thing to um, invite toxicity? No. But I do feel like the line is a little bit blurrier in content creation than it is for journalists because it's why we see a lot more toxicity in social media because people have the freedom to just share their opinions and there's no repercussions. But on the topic of journalists, I actually saw with Lissy McIntosh, she recently did the interview on Screaming Meals and they asked her who she thought the hottest F1 driver was. And I, my heart kind of went into my throat immediately because that's a bigger issue even than the fact that she's just a journalist. And I shouldn't say just a journalist, but it's a bigger issue than the fact that she's a journalist but and works very closely with all of the drivers, um, but also the fact that she's a young, beautiful female. But I actually have to commend her answer. I was, I wish I could be as smart on my feet as she was in that moment when she said, do you ask all your guests that? I was like, you better ask if they ask all the guests that. That is amazing. <laughs> That's an amazing response. And they kind of danced around it. And then they asked her again. They asked her for a second time. They said, so, so who do you think is the hottest F1 driver. I don't think they were being malicious. I don't think they were being mean. I don't think they were trying to put her in a corner. I think that they just wanted to know because nobody knows what her opinion is because she's a professional journalist. And she just very respectfully said, I don't have an answer for that one. And I was like, that's how you handle it as a professional journalist. Absolutely. Girls got skills. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, yes. Screaming Meals is also hosted by former and current drivers. And so their their relationship with discussing the hotness of drivers is a little bit different than other <laughs> podcasts. Correct. This is this is them, you know, flam, flaming the flaff, fanning, fanning the, the flames the of their own admiration for people in the sport they participate in, who they may or may not know personally. Uh, Ted was kind of put on blast at the end of the 2022 season for having said, quote, biased things. And it's something that's become a bigger topic. I feel like even in the last year, two years, mm -hmm. really everything can be traced back to 2021 Abu Dhabi. Everything can. <laughs> but really since then, it there's been a big microscope on the journalists and on the sport because there's so much pressure and there's this expectation and responsibility for them to report things and in some ways kind of drive the narrative. And I don't think it's malicious. I don't think that they abuse that power, but they have the power to drive the narrative. And I, I think that I have a lot of respect as an American watching British media. I have a lot of respect for the way the Sky Sports and F1 TV presenters handle it. I think that they handle it very well. I'm not throwing any shade on American, you know, journalists. I think they also work hard and do a good job, but I think the way that the Sky Sports and F1 TV journalists handle it is just with a lot of class and a lot of respect. All right. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to, to see you guys again soon. <laughs> We've 
talked about gravel traps and curbs. We have seen my cat. We've talked about and welcomed Ibrahim to the show. We've talked about bias in media and we've had a good, if somewhat chaotic day. It's a fitting end to the podcast in light of everything that happened in Australia yesterday. I truly feel like the insanity is still living on, even in all of our minds right now. So I apologize to all of our listeners if this felt a little chaotic, because that's how we're feeling. And apologies to Buck, (laughs) who now has to go and edit this. Thank you for listening. And if you want to follow Ibrahim, follow him at F1 Brahim on TikTok and all the places. We're so excited that you listened to this week's episode and we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at GravelTrapF1. Share your love for F1 with us.